God is so good. God is so good. Amen, 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 amen. Well, as you know, the last couple Sundays we've not preached and we've had some incredible staff, pastors. Aren't you thankful for the preachers in this house? I, I, I had a man that is very studied in the Word come to me last Sunday. He was trying to find Pastor Marvin, who did such a fine, fine job with the Word last week. Amen? Where, where is, is he in here? Preach, preacher. And um, just such a good job with the Word last week. And he was trying to find him to let me know. I just, I want to find Pastor Marvin and let him know. And, and um, he couldn't find him. So he told me, he's like, Ross, it just blows my mind. It doesn't matter who's in that platform. The depth of the Word, you know. And he's like, most of the time, it's when you're not in the platform. <laughs> and so I punched him in the throat. No, 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 no. He didn't say that. But it was just, it felt good to see a man that you esteem, esteem the staff that's around here. And, um, and you guys are blessed because this series we've designed in such a way that each of the staff pastors are getting an opportunity to speak life from this platform. And, I, and I'm thankful as a church that we're getting that feel and that flavor. It doesn't matter who's in the pulpit. It's that the Word is taught. How many love the Word of Jesus? Amen? Amen. If you love the Word of Jesus, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and we'll get there here in just a little bit. But when it comes to this idea of the series we're doing right now, Hope Don't Quit. Hope Don't Quit. My life is the byproduct. It just is. My life is the byproduct of the hope that comes from Jesus. You know, you've heard my story before of my dad and how violent a man he was, raised up by a violent man who was raised up by a good man whose dad was a violent man. And so it was one of those things where multiple generations of violence and ugliness and fear, and that's how you run your home. You don't like your meal, you toss it over, you just flip the whole table. I married an Italian, that's not happening. For two reasons. One, that woman can cook. So there ain't no reason to flip the table because it's always good. And number two, if I flip the table, she had knifed me. <laughs> or hire somebody that would. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But that, that idea of just my life being a byproduct of Christ's hope, it changed our family's trajectory. And what blows my mind is today my dad's a pastor. I'm a pastor. Not that that's the pinnacle because I've told you before the best mentor in my life was a plumber. But when it comes down to it, my dad's a pastor, I'm a pastor. Today, my, my, my nephews are both pastors. It's just crazy to think liquor running, prohibition period, gangster type guys could create a lineage of people that want to dispense hope that comes from Jesus. And only Jesus could do that, amen? And so as a church, it's really a big part of us that, that we want to exist We've been using this chair as kind of a symbol, an invitation to the hope that Christ has. We want to exist as a church always to be a place that dispenses hope. Why do we exist? We exist because everyone needs a story of hope. You saw in those videos just inspirational bits. Now, there's a longer video if you want to see it. We showed it the first couple weeks of the series. We've kind of shortened the video now, but go look on our website. You can see the longer video on our Facebook page. But as you see those stories of hope, you see the little two-minute snippet of about three or four stories. But as pastor, I've got to see that unfold. I've got to have a front row view of the hope of Jesus being dispensed into the lives of dozens and dozens and hundreds of people. Man, I can't quit this. I'm telling you, 25 years and a half now. 
Yes, I started when I was three. <laughs> 25 and a half years of just experiencing these stories of hope. And it's just so freaking ridiculously addicting. I can't, it's like, give me another hit, you know? I just can't take it. I love it. And I love that we have a church that that is so powerful in us that Jesus has created such hope in us. That's why you're a little noisy at times. Just being honest. Because you remember how it felt to not have hope. You remember how it felt when that coldness of sin and you put your head on the pillow at night and you knew that there was nothing else. Tomorrow the same addiction is going to hit you in the face. You knew the same struggle is going to hit you in the face. You knew the same sense of loneliness and, and separation. It's going to hit you in the face. and Man, then you came to Jesus. And I ain't saying that made you perfect yet. How many imperfect people in the house? How many liars? The rest of you. I'm not saying it made you perfect. But boy, God did such a, a work in you that it's inspirational. It just is. I don't know how any other word to use other than insp say inspirational. inspirational. I love that word. I do. Yes, I'm going to preach Exodus. Hold on. I'll get there. I love that word, inspiration, inspiration. In the New Testament, it speaks of the Word of God as being something that is inspirational. It says that the Word of God was basically written as God inspired men to write. As He breathed upon men to pen the gospel. As He breathed upon men to pen this beautiful law. As He breathed upon men. And this idea of inspiration, that's literally in the Greek. It's theo. Say theo. That means God. And then noustos. Say noustos. That means breath. Literally, the word is God breathed. But you know what? I, I just don't think that has God's breath. I don't. I, I think there's things that we partner with God that has God's breath on it. I think there's things that God has done in our lives. It wasn't it like a breath of fresh air when he came into your life. You came with your broken marriage to him. And next thing you know, he's bringing this this breath of freshness to that relationship. Isn't that awesome? And I'm, not, I'm not trying to discount from the word. Obviously, that is theonoustos. God breathed that men wrote it. I get that. But I think God is still breathing things and writing things in people's lives. I'm not saying revelation as far as it's the word. I'm saying miracles, signs, wonders, victory, deliverance, healing for marriages. Hope for the student that goes, you know what, I have dyslexia, and there's no possible way I could ever accomplish anything in my studies because when I look, everything is backwards. When I look, everything is mumble, jumble. But for some reason, that student keeps submitting it to Jesus, and for some reason, that student keeps passing grades and getting through and finding excellence with their drive that's not their own. And I'm not saying their GPA may be perfect, but they're striving, and God's blessing upon them is being perfected. And you see good things come. Isn't that neat? Anything submitted to Jesus, God, I just believe, breathes on those things. And so as a church, one of our core values is this. It's inspirational generosity. It's inspirational generosity. It's the idea that my character lines up to the character of this generous Jesus that we have so fully that I move out of his character in the area of generosity, not just with finances, but with time and my talent and my treasure. But I move in such a way that allows God's breath to get on that. Every one of you have a story where God showed up in the midst of somebody else's life to impact you. And you were inspired by their contact with you. How many here, you've been inspired by some other person at some point? Yeah, 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 yeah. They helped you get through. They helped you find hope. 
They, they invited you to a seat. They didn't kick you aside. They said, come here. I can introduce you to the Christ. I can introduce you to what God can do in your life. And they invited you to a place at the table. Every single person in here has had opportunities like that. And so as a church, I've always wanted to be a church that is just inspirationally generous. And so because of that, if you'll look under your seat today, everyone gets a new car. Okay, not. <laughs> if you look under seat today, one person gets, no, 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 not, not today. We've actually done that a couple times, though, but not today, not today. But the generosity of God is just inspirational to me. His generosity. I want to continue inspirational. Breathes life into me. It keeps me going. It, it's something to where I want to continue to be inspirational in others because how he's breathed life into me. I want you to open your Bibles. Let's stand to our feet as we do here, as our custom is, to stand and honor God's word. And let's look at Exodus 20. As we go to Exodus 20, you're, you're going to say, um, this is the Old Testament law. This is the Ten Commandments is what we're going into. And, and you are absolutely right. And so we're going to look here. It says this, and God spoke all these words. When God speaks, speaks what do we do? We listen, yes. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray. Father, over the next few minutes, anoint these words, guide my, my lips. Thank you, Lord, for the revelation that you've given me today. I don't take that lightly, Jesus. Allow me to speak it clearly in your name. Amen. You can have your seat. <coughs> and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out. Right there it is. There's that inspiration. There's that hope. All packaged in, in really two things. All packaged in two things. Packaged one, that I am the Lord. That's the first thing. Because it was only God that could have got you out. You know what I'm saying? It really is all our hope, all everything that we have is wrapped up in him. But I am the Lord God who brought you out. I'm the God that delivered you. I'm the God that brought hope to you. I'm the God that set you free. And he's speaking to his people. He's speaking to the Israelites that had just spent 400 years in Egyptian bondage. Now, I know that's a long time. I can remember belly aching to God, you know, frustrated with the Lord. Why am I going through hard times? And to be quite honest, there was about two seasons of hard times, you know, three years one time and about four or five years the next time that were really difficult in the scope of my life. Not 400 years. Not that I woke up from being born in bondage and I died in bondage knowing that my kid will do the same and their kid and their kid and their kid, no hope. So imagine that progression of hopelessness. And now this God sets them free? Now this God brings them out of bondage? Man, what a, a joy. Instantly you would think that everything is going to be bestowed upon God. You're so good. You're so wonderful. Everything is yours. God, thank you, Jesus. We can already see very early on, even when these Ten Commandments were written, Moses is on the mountain. And while he's on the mountain, the people are making a moor. They're down here creating a, a, a calf, you know. They're down here creating a golden image. And what's crazy is they're creating this image 
based on the riches. When God brought them out of Egypt, he didn't bring them out broke. Come on, somebody. When God brought them out of Egypt, he brought them out with spoils. That blows my mind. The, the Egyptians were like, take, get out of here and take my stuff. That's awesome. Get out of here and take this. And they had enough stuff. They're breaking their earrings off. They're doing all this stuff. They're taking their jewelry. They're melting it down. They had enough stuff, even as slaves, because of the spoil of Egypt, they had enough stuff to create this golden image. While, while Moses is on the mountain interacting with God, and God is ready to strike a covenant with them, this beautiful covenant, this beautiful sign of relationship called the Ten Commandments, this beautiful opportunity for intimacy with God. No, no other culture had this, this beautiful thing. They're down there worshiping something false, something separate, something that had no ability to breathe, breathe life, nothing, no inspiration. So Moses comes off the mountain and he reads these two the Israelites, and he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And the very first commandment, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the God that brought them out, and now he just says, have no other gods before me. And this isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. You guys realize that, right? Someday we'll teach the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments aren't just a list of do's and don'ts. They're actually a guide to relationship. That's really what it is. These are the marks of intimacy between me and my people. These, this is what you have access to. This is who you have right to be, a people that follow these commandments with me. And it's an invitation, you know. And it says, no other gods before me. I want you to say that. I will have. Let's say it again. I will have. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, let me bring it to our understanding. I know I know it's easy for you to realize this. When I say it, you'll be like, of course. I dated a lot of girls before Amy. <laughs> Auburn just about puked in her mouth. She's like, really, Dad? No, but I did. I dated some girls before Amy. But there was a moment when she became my number one, you know? And check this. The generosity of her love and her care and her concern for me was, it was inspirational. Baby girl, you breathe life into me. Mm hmm Yes, you did. And she breathed life into me. And, and I wanted to reciprocate that generosity of heart back to her. I wanted her to know that she was first in priority. You see that? First in priority. Oh, there was girls I dated before her, but since July 9th, 1994, there would never be another woman that I would put before her. Okay? So now we see this scripture to have, amen, Amy said amen. She said, that's right, preacher, preach that word. So, <laughs> what'd you say, mama? I'm, you know I'm deaf. What? What'd you say? It wasn't 93, mama. She says it was 93, not 94. She goes, we got married in 94. Well, right. And when we got married, I stopped dating around. All right. <laughs> so when it says, 
no other gods before me. It's, it's not just this idea that it's okay to have other. You know, when you think about it, God was speaking into a polytheistic society. Poly meaning many, theistic meaning gods. And so they were used to Egypt having 2,000 gods. You know, they were used to that kind of environment. And so when he says that, that you shall have no other gods before me, it'd be very easy for a person to think that that means, okay, so he's the first god and everything else can come after that god. But that's not what that word before means, okay? That before is actually a preposition, not a conjunction. It can be both. All right, and so in that situation, it's clarifying. Yes, I went to school, Auburn. It's clarifying the sentence, and so you shall have no other gods. Period. Then it clarifies and says, "Before me." In other words, you should have no other gods before me, beside me, above me, behind me. It doesn't matter. You should have no other gods. Nothing else should line up. It wouldn't. Amy would not be happy if I said, "You know, I have no other wives before you. You're always first. And then we'll always visit the other wives. We'll date you first, and then we'll date the other wives. There's TV shows about this. Okay? But it ain't happened in my house, you know? And so when it comes down to it, that, it's no other gods. It's this absolute priority that you have upon God that nothing else can stand even close to that God. No other gods before me, just like I would say, no other wives before Amy. She's it. She's everything for me, and, and, and for, for for a bunch of years. I just forgot how many. A bunch. You do the math. How many? Twenty, four, three, a bunch. Okay. <laughs> so, in essence, having many gods in one's life, as long as Jesus is first in the lineup, that's not what this is speaking of. He's saying, "I am the Lord your God." And you shall have no other gods before me. And so that commandment number one when it comes to relationship, really, that commandment number one is all about priority. Before speaks of priority. You take first place. Nothing is a distant second. You are it all by yourself. That's it. Can I be real honest with you this morning? I'm just going to be honest. I haven't been prioritizing Amy the way I should the last few weeks. I'm just being honest, you know. And I um, love you, babe. But it's true. The last two or three weeks have been just busy, and I just haven't prioritized her, you know? So this idea of inspiration, this idea of breathing life into each other, this idea of your heart skipping, you know, when you walk into the room, I haven't been doing that for her, you know? Why? Because I have allowed other things to take priority. Does that make sense? How long can that last? How long can that last? She's like, it ends today. I'm just being honest. I mean, can I be honest with you guys? Is that okay if we're just kind of open books around here? You know? And um, and it's one of those things to where, man, that hinders a relationship. So I think you can see this isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's an invitation to priority. It's God going, I'm your only. And what's beautiful about it is you're mine. You're mine. Amen. Both I'm yours, but God's looking at you going, you're mine. And so what does that look like, this this mutual generosity, this inspiration back and forth? It's a beautiful thing. And he says, have no other gods before me. And so in my mind, inspiration is that space where God breathes in something special. And so what are some of the things that we put before God or the purposes of God that robs that space, that robs that place where a miracle can happen, that place where something powerful can can manifest. It could be our time. It could be our talent. 
and it can be our treasure. I'm just being honest. Those are our three things that we invest. You know, those are those three things that have, if you will, idolatry connected to them if we're not careful. And so with those three things, if we're not careful, they can become things that are always put in priority over God. And we've got to guard from that. You know, there may be somebody here in the room saying, I, I don't have time to connect with journey groups. Okay, I'm not going to connect with journey groups. Listen, I, I get that. And you may say, well, Ross, I really don't need the journey group. I get that. But somebody needs you to be in the journey group. So it's not just about what you receive. It's about what you have to offer. But, Ross, I don't have much to offer. It'll blow your mind when you're generous with your time and you put yourself out there saying, I just don't have much to offer, that God's breath will come. And in that space, a miracle will take place. There'll be somebody that'll leave Journey Group going, man, oh, that person sitting beside me, her kindness today. When she spoke of concern for me and my situation, changed everything for the week. Could be a guy in a men's breakfast, you know, or a men's small group. Man, when that guy shared about his struggle, I know he feels defeated this week. I know he feels broke, busted, and disgusted. I know he feels as if he can't get his head up off his chest. I get that. But when he shared his story did something to me. And it let me know, you know what, I can make it. I can get through. So that's just time, you know. And we do. We, we challenge you as a church often to serve. We challenge you to give. We challenge you to use your giftings. Why? Because that shows priority to God. Well, Ross, you're just trying to keep the machine running. Yes! When the machine is seen, marriage is saved. When the machine is seeing deliverance take place in addicts, when the machine is seeing healing take place, when the machine is seeing children come up, and now the next generation, of, we're just old enough as a church, we're starting to see our children now going out and leading worship, being asked to come and do ministry. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. We better keep the machine going. I'm not saying machine. You, you get what I'm saying. And that takes time, talent, and treasure. And, and you know what's funny? is This cracked me up. You guys get it. That's why I love being your pastor. Because you get it. I got a call. We were supposed to be, not we weren't supposed to be at an event, but we were also invited to an event. But we already had an event going on, so we couldn't be there. But the word got out to a pastor who was going to be there with his church that momentum was coming. And I'm just going to brag on you. Can I do that? And then I'll ask for forgiveness from Jesus for my pride in you. And so the pastor calls me. Hey, Ross, I just need to know. This is a few days before the event. Are you all coming to serve at this event? And I'm like, well, well no, we already have something going on. And, and he goes, oh, good. <laughs> and I said, why? He goes, I was worried that you're going to have like 40, 50 people show up in matching T-shirts. And, and next thing you know, it's going to make us look bad. <laughs> no, no, don't applaud that. Because now you're in the same sin of pride. I know the same God that can forgive one can forgive many. I get that, but still. But no, it was one of those things to where I told him, I said, bro, we're all on the same team. It's okay, you know. And, but it was just really, it was kind of endearing for me to you to know that's the people you are, you know. Kids Fest shows up, man, you'll be out there in force, shining the light of Jesus on a day that could be a very dark day. And that's who you are because you're willing to invest that time. And it's an inspiration. It's an inspiration to people, you know. 
um, when it comes to the idea of talent. We've all seen stories, especially on your Facebook feeds, of people that step out and use their giftings. And then there's this heartwarming story of how that made a difference in someone's lives. We could spend, you do spend, hours and hours looking at those stories. Yes, you do. And they keep you up at 11 and 11.30 and midnight and 2 in the morning going, oh gosh, that's so sweet. That's so good. Well, guess what? That can be you. Get off your butt and go do something. Love me. <laughs> but I'm being honest. They're like, no, that could be you. Oh, I can't believe how they gave. And that made such a difference in people's lives. Yeah. Give and watch it be an inspiration to others. I can't believe how they, they went and they served that family. And that family was blessed because of that. Yes. Serve families and watch that inspiration come. And what's beautiful about it, it's God breathed, and he should get the glory. Oh, everything should go back to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And when it comes to treasure, and this is what I'm going to focus in on the rest of the day, something God, I think, showed me that was very significant out of this passage, what I want to focus in on when it comes to treasure, this third area of generosity, it's so important for us to align it to and with the breath of God. When we align our finances with God, God breathes inspiration, breathes opportunity, breathes miracles and touches people's lives. It's a space where miracles can happen and life change can take place and hope can be dispensed to others. And we're invited into this direct partnership with the God of miracles to inspire others. Isn't that awesome? And so let's go back to Exodus 20 just for a minute. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. When it comes to the idea of the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, as I said, they're not do's and don'ts. They're a mark of covenant relationship, and it shows how God is binding himself to us and how we are binding ourselves to him. The Ten Commandments speak to the elements of intimacy and relationship with God, the God who has brought us out. And what's beautiful about this first commandment, and this is something, if you saw my Facebook post this week, I said I want to teach something I've never, I don't want to say I've never preached before because I haven't. I know that. I don't know if I've ever heard this before. And I think there's something to this. I think it's a, a little bit of a rich revelation the Lord gave me when it comes to the Ten Commandments. And so watch this. The first commandment of ten, say first of ten. Is this not the first commandment of ten? I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Is this not the first of ten? Is this not, let me just throw this out. Is this not a tithe of the ten commandments? One-tenth is all the word tithe means. Is this not one-tenth? I'm on my motorcycle, and this idea is coming to me, and I'm about to wreck. I'm about to lose my mind. I'm just like, are you kidding me? And what this sets up, I'm just like, come on, Jesus. So I meditate on it for a few days. I call Pastor Brantley. I call my dad first. Dad, am I a heretic for thinking this? No, that's good, son. Preach it. You know, I call Pastor Brantley, and Pastor Brantley's like, I'm going to throw my phone. I'm so excited. <laughs> that's Brantley. But check this out. That first of ten commandments, and what is it? That you should have no other God before me. That you should make me your first priority, period. That's the first of the ten. There is not a detail one in scripture that has, does not have significance. There's just not. And so I begin to think about that one in ten and the idea of tithe came. God, this is speaking to tithe. This is speaking to priority. This is speaking to setting ourselves up for everything else to be separated and holy as unto 
the Lord. It's a tithe. It's one-tenth of the ten. In tithing, the first fruits we see in Scripture. In tithing, the firstborn to God. It's a sacrifice that we give that sanctifies everything else. When you look in Scripture, I take care of the first to God, and the other nine-tenths are now sanctified unto the Lord. I, I, I say, God, this is yours, and he says, yes, and everything else is too. Or I say, God, this is mine, and he says, yes, and everything else is too. I don't, I don't want that. I can't afford that. I need some God breath. I need some inspiration. I need, I need, I need some blessing. I need a touch of God on what I'm doing. I want the whole sanctified. So then I started thinking, well, God, that's old covenant. That's Old Testament. And so how many know we're new covenant believers? Jesus comes. He doesn't take away the law. He fulfills the law. But we're new covenant believers. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, does that play out? And I went to Matthew 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, verse 24. Watch what it says. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. In other words... You shall have no other gods before me. There's just no way to have two masters. You, you have one or the other. Now watch it. It brings it into our vernacular a little bit. You cannot serve God and money. Dude, that's, that's New Testament. That's, that's awesome right there. I'm like, Lord, okay, I, I see that. You can't serve God and money. You can't love God. Now, the Aramaic word, the ancient word there is mammon, and we translate it money. But essentially, it means riches or wealth. At its heart, there's an attitude that says man doesn't need God. We're self-sufficient. And so I celebrate my self-sufficiency. I celebrate that I, I have every bit of breath I'll ever need. I think God breathed breath into you from the very beginning. And you became a living being. I remember that said in Scripture. But that idea of serving mammon or money is just a, a defiance to God saying, no, I'm self-sufficient. This is where my heart lies. And it's not prioritizing, prioritizing um, 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 God. N.T. Wright, in his book, Idolatry 2.0, he argues that idolatry is very much alive and well today and that all of us must confront and resist it. So when it says no other gods before me, in our mind, well, yeah, we're intelligent, you know, 21st century people. There's not gods that we're handcrafting, that we're worshiping and celebrating but in his book on idolatry 2.0, he says these gods are not strangers to us. The gods that he's telling them to, to set aside for him, for God. The ancient world knew them well. Just to name the three most obvious, there are Mars, the god of war, Mammon, the god of money, and Aphrodite, the goddess of erotic love. When it comes to the idea of the goddess of a god of, of, of money, this is mammon. The word was mammon in those ancient times. And they literally would worship mammon. Mammon was always connected to idolatry. They, they, they were hand in hand. And this is one of the reasons why when you would have temple money, money that was going to be given to the work of the Lord, you would exchange the Roman foreign currency for temple money. Why? Because they felt that that Roman money had been given to idols, which it had been. It had been, had been um, commissioned and worshipped as unto idols and submitted to their spirit. 
And so I can have the spirit of God breathing or I can have the spirit of mammon breathing. Which one's going to leave me truly broke? Just saying. So money in the ancient world was connected to idolatry. And guess what? Money in our world today is connected to idolatry as well. You cannot serve God and money. And so it speaks again to priority. And there is a world that needs us to get our priorities right. There's a world that needs us for us to be generous people. Financially generous, yes. The world needs us. Now listen to this. You can be idolatrous or inspirational, but you can't be both. You can set God as a different priority and walk in idolatry, but you won't inspire people. You may have stuff, but you won't inspire lives. You won't see lives change. You won't inspire people. You can't be both. And I just want to be inspirational. I want to reflect the character that is in Jesus in everything that we do as a church. Time, talent, and treasure. But pastor, I have bills. I got kids going to college. Pastor, I'm a broke student. I'm just going to be honest. I started tithing when I was 10 years old. I started my first business when I was 10. It was a little lawn mowing business. I had four mower or four lawns to mow you know by the time I was 15 I had or 16 I had 15 lawns to mow it was busy times you know and I'm always took that dime out of every dollar just that was just my practice and then when I went to intern at a church man there was Sundays some weeks I'd have a five dollar bill that's it for the whole week you know I ate one meal at night at the pastor's house and slept in a basement on a bed and um and but man I would take my my 50 cents out my two quarters and I would get me a tithing envelope I'm just being honest I'd pull it out, God, this is my tithe, it's not much, but I'm trusting you with my 10%, and I would sign it, and I'd put it in there, Ross Wiseman, dot five, zero. Take that, Satan, you know. I remember those days. I didn't like those days. I remember those days when I got to a point where I finally had enough to get a new pair of tennis shoes, you know. I know it sounds really, really hard, hard but I bought these black Reebok tennis shoes back in the day when you had to have black Reebok tennis shoes. And, um, and a mullet. <laughs> and I bought those shoes. And, well, actually, it was before I bought them. I'd saved the money. I had just what I needed. In Pennsylvania, where I was interning, you had no sales tax. And I had exactly what I needed. And I was going to go the next day and buy them shoes. And a missionary came. And I was like, it, God told me to give every dime of it. You know? And so, obviously, I did. And by the next Sunday, I had those shoes and money. You know what I mean? It was like God just blessed sovereignly that week. Never said a word. God just needed to know that he was first in priority. Well, that matures a little bit, that kind of giving, it does. And so Amy and I, were in our mid-20s, and we're tithing. We got one vehicle that's nice, and we've got one payday vehicle. How many know what a payday vehicle is? Yes, I had a Yugo payday vehicle. Call up Amy. Hey, I'm coming to pick you up. I got four on the floor, baby. And it, it, was, it was a Yugo. She was surprised. Gave 200 bucks for it. Long story short... We're sitting there wanting so bad a second good vehicle. And our church in Ohio starts to do a building fund, just like we're doing right now. They start to do a building. It's called Fulfill the Vision, and they're raising money. And it was a three-year commitment. We're doing like a one-year thing. It was a three-year commitment, and Amy and I prayed about it. And we thought, you know what? If we give $40 a week, that was a ton of money to us. If we give $40 a week, that's $160. That would buy a nice car. We'll keep driving payday cars, and we'll put 40 bucks a week above our tithe into that building fund. Well, then we're at an opportunity to give $1,000 to a camp the same season. 
And so we give $1,000 to a camp, a monthly commitment that ended up being $1,000 over this period of time. Same time. I'm not saying this to go, yay, Pastor. I'm saying this, I get it, okay? I mean, we were basically, long story short, let's keep it out of, out of, out of number figures. It ended up being about 22% of our income for about three years as a young couple, you know? And I remember our tax guy going, this can't be right. And I'm like, dude, it is right. Trust me. You write it, you write it down, boy. I'll smack you. It's killing me. And, um, and, and during that season, our dates were Taco Bell dates. But we were making a priority. We felt that camp in Ohio was important. And we felt that building was important. And so, man, we felt our tithing was important. So, yeah. So, uh, Taco Bell dates for about two years. That's it. Taco Bell dates and go to a park and sit and eat. And, and I just, for wonderful, she eats her taco on the wrong side. <laughs> Had been dating her and with her for maybe seven years at that point, maybe six, seven years. And, and she's left-handed, so that means she bites here. And I bite here. I would never have discovered that had we not been sitting on a bench at Kingwood Center Park. You know what I mean? It was just so cute. It was like, aw, it was adorable. Not sure why I shared that. Can I just fast forward those years, those three years? By the end of those three years, Amy and I built a brand new home on three acres of land. We had two really nice cars, used but nice cars. And we're going to break down. I wouldn't have to call Danny all the time. Two really nice cars. Um, um, trying to think what else it was. I, I wrote a few things down here. Oh, obviously we, we, we made up our, our commitments to both of those. You know, if I remember right, it was around eight or nine grand. It was, it was crazy. We made up those commitments to both of those. Now, during those three years, we had staycations. I'm just being honest. We, we, we vacationed at home. But we felt that this was what God had. Now, I fast forward, and like I said, brand new home, two nice vehicles. This isn't a give to get. I'm just saying, we prioritized God when we didn't have it. And at the end of that season, home, two nice vehicles. And you may say, but Ross, where's the inspiration in that? I want to tell you without any sense of, of um, I'm just going to say it. You're, you're sitting in that inspiration. What do you mean, Ross? When I sold that house, that gave me the cash to move to Georgia. And for the two years that we were here first, anytime we had a need, we were able to draw off that reserve. Draw off that reserve. Draw off that reserve. Draw off that reserve. Isn't that cool? And so your lives literally are part of that inspiration. I look back at my home church, man, they're still going all these years, touching lives, changing people's lives. Man, it was so worth sowing into that. You know? Just, ah, when I think about it, it excites me. And so when it comes down to it, if I have 100% control of my money, but I can't have 100% control of my peace, then that's no true control at all. And during those few years, man, I fell out of control. I did. But we just kept being faithful. God, you're the number one priority. You're showing us to tithe and to give to this. And we were. And God was getting us through. And no, no regrets at all, you know. There's never enough money to be able to have peace with money alone. There's just not. I think that's what God was telling them. Have me first, and everything else will fall into place. Put me first, and I'll watch out over everything. Put me first, and check this out. Put me first, and if you go through hell, because you just might, it won't matter, because you put me first. This isn't a, a, a televangelist give, and it's going to be given to you. Ha! That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you may go through it. But man, when I got God first, I don't care. Amy and I have been through it multiple times. But we get through it, and inspiration happens. God is seen 
Lives are touched. It's powerful. I love it. So it's not about money. It's all about priority. If I have only 90%, but I can't have that, I'm sorry, if I have only 90%, but I can't have that peace that God has sanctified for me, then 100% would never satisfy me. It's worth every dime of of a dollar invested in the kingdom priorities just to know I'm in partnership with God. I get to share in this story of hope in people's lives because I'm in partnership with this story of hope. And so it's not about money, it's about priority. The money has no value to me compared to just knowing I'm putting God first. In Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now these are some of the same promises that we saw in the Ten Commandments. Watch, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. He's calling this this writer of Psalm, David, back to those commandments. He's calling him back. Don't forget those things. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. That, that Ten Commandments was written in stone. Man, I could, I could preach a long time on this, but I won't. Written on stone, the day it was delivered was the day of Pentecost. That's what Pentecost was celebrated. The giving of the law. Did you know that? So then the, the day of Pentecost we think of is the Holy Spirit comes upon our hearts and writes his law in us. Still us performing the law, but we're not performing out of duty. We're performing out of relationship. We're we're performing it because God breathed on his church. The power and touch of the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for that. And now I partner with that breath to inspire others. It goes on, so you will find favor and good success in sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your straight paths. Go down to verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's first fruits. Shout before. It's first fruits. It's, it's that idea of priority. We see Cain and Abel when it came to it. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Say an offering. Of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Why? Abel brought the firstborn. He didn't wait to have all of this and then pick what he wanted. Okay, I'm going to take this one and give to God. No, no, you get first. And it sanctifies the rest. Whereas Cain, in the process of time, had his harvest, and then he brought something, an offering. Didn't even say his first fruits. It just said an offering to the Lord. Again, it's speaking of priority. The bringing of the first fruit or the firstborn is something that even God models to us, Right? An inspirational generosity, that's why we want to have that characteristic in our lives, is because it models Christ. God gave his firstborn son, Jesus. Was that not a sacrifice? Yes. He prioritized you with that sacrifice and then invites us to prioritize him back. So that core value here at the church is this, inspirational generosity. We value expressing the sacrificial character of Christ by allowing generosity in every way to become second nature. And that's in every way, not just money, not just in time, but in talent. Everything we do, momentum, we ought to be the most generous people ever. First one is, I'll help you with that. Can I be a service, you know? First to hold a door, whatever it might be. That that, that should represent Jesus. It should inspire people because of Jesus' work in our lives. So 
With serving, obviously, we understand that. Two things I want to speak toward with finances. We want to challenge you to tithe. Be a tither. How do you start? You just start. It's the hardest thing ever. You just step out. I'm just being honest. I have nothing else to say about that. You take your finances and you go, okay, that's what I got my paycheck. And here God's 10%. It'll blow your mind what God will do with that. And you may, I'm, I'm going to tell you the honest truth, you may go through seasons where it's extremely difficult to do that. But it does two things. I believe, one, it disciplines you in the spinning of the 90. So there's a very pragmatic element to it, that if you're conscious about the 90, for instance, we went to Taco Bell, we did staycations, because we had those commitments that we felt led of the Lord to do, you know? So we were conscious about how we were spending our money. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with discipline. It helps you to develop what it takes to truly walk in wealth. And then two, I do believe it brings the sovereign, inspirational blessing of God upon the situation. And so I want to ask you guys, when it comes to the idea of tithing, to, to begin to, to, to tithe, number two, what by faith will you be willing to face that will provide hope for others for generations to come? You have an opportunity to step out in faith and watch hope manifest in the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, here on December 3rd, that first Sunday, we're asking you to do two things. Bring the largest gift you possibly can bring here to the church for the new building, okay? We can, show the, we can show the building. And so for this box, this is a toolbox. This is an incubator. This is something that we can grow to to be able to send teams out to start other churches. If you haven't been around, it's a 600-seat sanctuary. It's not a 1,000-seat sanctuary. Not that that's wrong for somebody. It's just not who we are. We want this to be an incubator to grow and send teams out to pastor and to release ministry to young, <laughs> to young pastors, man. I just think that's the coolest thing ever. And to teams. And, man, I actually, to be honest, I think I'm more excited about the box getting done so that we can get to releasing the teams. I, I'm just being honest. I'm more excited about that than the actual toolbox. But that's the, that's the strategic step we need to be able to, to release the teams. And so God, three years ago, began to do some amazing things. We got on this property, and now in this year of acceleration, we're just embracing that. And we believe that there's one more quarter in this year of acceleration. And I just want to declare in the name of Jesus that this latter quarter is going to be greater than all three former. Amen? I believe that with all my heart. And so with that, pray about what that's going to look like, that largest gift possible on December 3rd, and a pledge, a monthly pledge, that will run from January through December of next year. Amen? And that's it. That's how that works. And so I just want us to be a people who are leaving on time. So <laughs> I love you guys. I think you guys understand the heart of your pastor. I think you understand that um, we're in this. We're with you on the journey. And, um, and I hope you didn't sense any sense of arrogance because it was with great fear and trembling that Amy and I came to those decisions in our marriage through those years financially. But I'm so thankful for it because... <laughs> I'm thankful for it because I'm, I'm looking at the fruit of that inspiration. I'm just being honest. I'm looking. We wouldn't be walking on what we're walking in today had we not just said in our early 20s, God, you are that number one priority. And now, listen, if we together can do that, we can change a world. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www dot momentumchurch dot tv